Hi, I'm Brian. I'm the minister at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on this video. Hope that this video, for whoever you might be watching it with today, is a blessing for you and whoever you're watching it with. You can find out more about us by going to harmonychurch.tv. And on there, you can, you know, leave us a message. Uh, you can do online giving. There's a one-time recurring donation, or you can set up uh, ongoing donations to the church if you like. If you'd like to send us a donation of some kind, uh, you can send it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do that at 405-391-7310. More importantly, I, we hope that this message for you today is something that is a, a source of encouragement to you. We hope and pray maybe we'll see you on a Sunday soon. God bless you. It was July 7th, 1964, and this group was gathering up like they normally would at the Methodist church they always went to. You know, uh, they were gathering up because they believed without a shadow of a doubt that God had blessed them and told them about what they should be doing and how they should be working in the world. And so they, they were gathering up. They felt to be doing some of God's good work. And so like any good Christian meeting, they start off with a prayer. And at this particular meeting, a guy by the name of San Bauer wrote down the prayer that he actually prayed at the beginning of this, at the beginning of his meeting. And this is what he said. He said, O God, our, our heavenly God, as finite creatures of time and as dependent creatures of thine, we acknowledge thee as our sovereign Lord. Permit freedom and the joys thereof to forever reign throughout our land. May the sweet cup of brotherly fraternity ever be ours to enjoy and build within that kindred spirit which will keep us unified and strong. Engender within us that wisdom kindred to honorable decisions and godly work. By the power of thine and the energizing virtue therein, ever keep us our pledges of righteousness. Bless us now in this assembly that we may honor thee in all things. We pray in, in the name of Christ, our blessed Savior. Amen. And at that moment, all the other members of the Ku Klux Klan said, Amen. And they proceeded to go and to gather and to make their plans to work against the civil rights movement that was coming into the, the state of Mississippi. And as they left, they left with ropes and shotguns. They felt empowered to do God's good work in the world. It was just a couple of days after that meeting that there would be three civil rights workers that would be murdered. Sam Bowers would be found guilty and charged for their murder. He would spend six years in jail for the murder of these three civil rights workers. And all they were there to do was to try to sign up black people to vote. Mad men like Bowers and others have always kind of been around. They, they believe that in somehow in seeking after God means spending a whole lot of energy not on faith, hope, and love, but on despair and on death. There's a lot of people that kind of think that way when it comes to God. And it seems that people like Bowers and others that can kind of get this misunderstanding of God, this, this inability to sort of comprehend the love of God, that it seems like they get some fuel from Christian communities sometimes. A fuel from Christian communities that comes from a lack of these communities challenging the, the false selves that we put out there, as well as a, a lack of personal development as just being a spiritual being. I mean, it's where you get stuff like the Westboro Baptist Church, who will do disgusting things like go and, and protest, protest, 
during the funeral service for a, a U.S. serviceman holding up signs that say things like God hates fags and things like that. A lot of people can get this misunderstood. But here's the thing. What Bowers and others just did was, is, or what they seem to have been doing, was all they did was just kind of give some mental assent to some things. In other words, they just kind of believed a few things, like, I believe Jesus, and I believe the Bible to be true. And that's about as far as it went. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, action beyond that. It was just, I just believe a set of things, and that's just what I believe, and it doesn't really go much beyond that, like at all. And it seems to be, like, this inability to see the difference between this difference that we can make in our lives and the transforming power that Jesus is bringing us by simply just saying, well, I just believe a couple of things, and it doesn't really come out in how we live. For example, this is um, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus instructs his disciples to not only go out and baptize people who believe in him, but he also says, I want you to go out and teach them to obey all things. In other words, I want you to introduce them to the school of Jesus, if you will. I want them to become a disciple, that there's more going on here than just giving some mental assent there's more going on here than just saying, okay, you believe and you got baptized. Now we're going to go to the school of Jesus and begin to take these teachings of Jesus and put them into practice into how we live our lives. If there was such a thing called a time machine, if that was such a thing you could get, I'm not sure a whole lot of people would want to go back in time to, say, like high school and relive all those years. I read recently somebody who said this about school. He said, school is learning things you don't want to know, surrounded by people you wish you didn't know, while working toward a future you don't know will ever come. It's kind of true, especially true even like in college too. I remember I was a freshman in college, and there was this guy who was there who should have at least by the time, just the amount of time that he had spent in college, he should have been at least a junior, but he was still a freshman. And he was a freshman because he signed up for all the classes. He got the books. He had his schedule. But he would ditch class. And when he went to class, he'd fall asleep. And he never really studied for much of anything. And eventually he just dropped out. You know, a lot of people do that in high school too. You know, in high school you, you, you ditch class and you fell asleep. And, and then you wake up one day and wonder... Why didn't I get that diploma? Well, you, you didn't get the diploma because they just never became a student. And the sad reality is, is that happens in the church a lot too. It's real easy to give some mental assent to things like, yes, I believe Jesus, and yes, I believe the Bible. But it's another thing to become a student, to become a disciple, to take the things that that we have been taught by looking at the life of Jesus and put them into practice. This guy by the name of William Paulson said this. He says, Athletes, musicians, writers, scientists, and others progress in their fields because they are well-disciplined people. Unfortunately, 
there is a tendency to think that in the matters of faith, we should pray, meditate, and engage other spiritual disciplines when we feel like it. Now, look, I know that we are saved by grace, not by works. But let's also not downplay spiritual development. In fact, in fact, when we, when we do downplay spiritual development, what we're saying is, is that currently I am at the level that I want to be at. I'm good enough. There's nothing else for me to work on. I'm fine. You know, Jesus, Jesus and I are friendly, and uh, I get a few benefits from that, and that's all I really want. Dallas Willard once said, Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude Effort is an action. You know, most of us don't even like hearing the word spiritual and discipline. I mean, we like the word spiritual. We like talking about prayer. We like talking about Jesus. We might even like talking about the Bible. Maybe even love singing some worship songs. But discipline? I mean, look, there's no kid out there. No kid out there that's walking up to their mom and dad and saying, you know what, mom and dad, I could really use some more discipline in my life. So if you would this week, if you could, just randomly, just turn off the Wi-Fi if you would, because I need some more family time. So if you would, just just turn it off. And then, by the way, while you're at it, not only do you need to turn off the Wi-Fi a little more, you know, mom and dad, if you would, uh, please roll back some of that allowance money you've been giving me, because I've just been buying like a whole bunch of junk food anyway. So if you would, just kind of let's roll that back. No kid says that. And it's not just kids that don't say that. It's adults, too. Adults aren't flocking and running to sign up for the spiritual discipline class. We're all kind of stuck in some ways. I mean, we want to grow closer to God. We, we want to say that we're closer to Jesus. But have we become a student? Have we put in any kind of effort? Is there any kind of intentional time that we have set aside with God and then taking that intentional time we had with God and then sort of bringing that into how do I do life now? That's harder. I, w I would suggest to you start with this. Here's something just to try in your life. Why don't you try this? Try a little kindness. You know, right now in our culture, the way our culture is just talking to each other even the way some Christians are talking to Christians and the way some Christians are talking to non-Christians. and We could just use a little kindness. And kindness is, isn't just some pie-in-the-sky idea. Kindness is core to who God is, and it's brought up as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, if you look at that in Galatians chapter 5, it's not just individual little things. It's one big fruit. It's one thing. And none of them come naturally. You know, nobody is just born with this natural self-control or natural patience. Like, nobody has that. And it's the same with kindness. It's something you have to work on and work with. In the Old Testament, there's this little word, but actually it's a pretty big word. It's this little word, hesed. And, and hesed is this word that means kindness. Actually, it means like loyal kindness or loyal love or mercy or, or love in general. But it's a word that is not so much concerned about how you feel. It's a word that is more concerned about what you do. Because that's what kindness is. Kindness is an action that is measured by its impact 
on other people. And it's a core thing about who God is. This word hesed gets used in a very key place in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7, we read the only place in the entire Bible where God talks about God. It's it's like God's self-introduction, if you will. If God was going to introduce himself, this is it. If you ever wanted to know who is God, could somebody describe him to me for me? Like, what kind of a God is this? Well, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, tell you who God is and, and what he's all about. And this is what it says. Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now this passage is is really important because it, it tells us this is who God is. These are the things that God is about. Core to who God is is kindness. And it's really important because where this passage happens is in the middle of some really bad wrongdoing going on. I mean, God has just rescued the people from, from, the, from slavery. He has fed them. He has protected them. He has encouraged them. He has guided them. And now they find themselves at Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up to go get the Ten Commandments, and while he's been gone for a while, the people freak out. They lose their mind. They think that they've just been brought out to the desert to die, and they begin to create a golden calf. And in the midst of God's anger, he shows kindness. He shows kindness to these people. The book of Job as a story is unparalleled in the amount of suffering that Job goes through. It starts, the whole story starts off with Job just losing everything. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his family. He's lost everything. Like his, his life is literally just a burning ash heap, and he's just sitting there. A few days later, some of his friends show up, and they begin to just sit there, just kind of they stay with him. They don't really say a whole lot. And then eventually they do speak. And one of the first ones to speak is a guy by the name of Eliphaz. And Eliphaz begins to speak, and when he speaks to Job, he begins this really long sort of moralizing kind of a story towards Job, where basically what he tells Job is this. Hey man, look, the reason why your life is all messed up, the reason why all these bad things have happened to you is because you've sinned. And if you would just repent, well then everything would be great. That's what you need to do, Job. You, You just need to repent. Just admit what you did and repent. Now, repentance is a good thing. In fact, repentance is often something that somebody needs to come and like remind us of and tell us about, you know, maybe even challenge us with that in our, in our lives. And so, repentance can be a good thing. And and Eliphaz is doing some some decent theology here. But he's missing out on being kind. You, you don't have a whole lot of credibility to really talk to somebody the way that Eliphaz is talking to to Job without first hearing about and listening about what's your story? Like, what's going on? And it's not until Eliphaz is done with his little speech that Job, after listening to all this, replies back, and he basically replies back to Eliphaz with, I don't know what's going on. All I know is, is my whole life is in ruins. 
My kids have been killed. My home has burned down. I don't have a bed to sleep in. I don't have any money in my bank account to go buy anything to eat. The only clothes I have are the clothes that I'm wearing right now. In fact, Eliphaz, let me just tell you, I am so bad off right now, I just want to die. That's what I want to do. And Job goes on to kind of explain kind of where he's at. In fact, in Job chapter 6, verse 14, Job says this. He says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. In other words, what Job is trying to say is, look, just because you've sat here doesn't mean you understand, doesn't mean you've heard my story. And as much as you want to go on and on about all your theology, as right as it may be, you're being malicious. You're hurting me more than you are helping me. You're just, you're just heaping more and more criticism down upon me. You're not being very kind. And I think it's something for us Christians to remember. Sometimes in the midst of all the things that are happening in our world, we're real quick to say, what you need to do is repent, and we haven't even heard their story. Sometimes we're really good at moralizing and criticizing, but we haven't even heard the story yet. We, we don't even know what's going on. So a lesson we might take away from that would be this. You, you might be right. Maybe you're right. But when you're unkind, you're in the wrong. I had the privilege of doing some chaplain stuff, doing some work, and, and in doing that, I got to work in the, in the trauma room. And in the trauma room, you see traumas that come in. Some of the worst accidents and some of the worst situations of life come through that door, and you get to interact with a lot of doctors and nurses and see all the things that are happening there. And one of the things that you can notice sometimes that can happen to some really good doctors and some really good nurses is, is sometimes they get some care fatigue. They see all these trauma after trauma after trauma, tragic story after tragic story, and eventually you just get a little fatigued in hearing about it. And in fact, sometimes you can you can kind of hear it in their voices when they're when they're in there treating a patient. There's some there's some anger that kind of flares up toward that patient. Not necessarily just because of that patient. It's just all of these other things that sort of just kind of compound into this one little moment, and they can kind of just not be very kind sometimes. I mean, you know what? If you would have just wore your seatbelt, you know, we wouldn't be here. If you would have just called an Uber or a friend instead of driving when you had too much to drink, you know, if, if you would have just maybe had a friend or, or maybe a family member come over and they could have got on top of the ladder instead of you, and, and you wouldn't be here. You're right. You're right. A lot of the times when we're in situations where we could reach out for those resources that are probably the most able and willing to help us, we don't. We've all been there when, when situations have happened where people wanted and expressed they wanted to come and help us, but man, we were like, no, 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 no. What Job is trying to tell us, what, what, what Eliphaz gets wrong is all of that is not the point. What Job is trying to tell us is he doesn't need somebody to come along and tell him to get his life straight. What he needs is 
is somebody who will open themselves up to the Spirit of God to allow the Spirit of God to flow through them and to another person with some kindness. And where do you even start with that? Like, where do you even go? I would suggest to you this. It's it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different kind of thinking, but the thinking goes like this: uh, I want for me what I want for you. I, I what I want for me is what I want for you. It's it's beginning to try to live out in our lives. Luke chapter six verse thirty one, which says this: Do to others as you would have them do to you. Not asking what can I get out of the situation. Not how can I fix you, not how can I solve all your problems, not here's all the ways that you have failed. It's just, you know what? What I would want for me in this kind of a situation is is what I want for you. Maybe that's a place to start. A little bit of kindness. God bless you.